from the very beginning of his ministry to the end. Christ faced and persevered through opposition, interrogation, accusations, schemes, plots, threats, and ultimately absolute rejection and death. Let's bow our heads for prayer for a moment, please. Lord God, I ask that you anoint my lips this morning as I present this presentation about Jesus suffering for us. Heavenly Father, I I pray that what I say will be to your honor and to your glory. And I give thanks in Jesus' name. For a moment, let's turn our thoughts to Matthew 14, 32 to 34. Uh, All these scripture texts will be projected behind me, so, but please, uh, let's hear the opening of, of your Bibles, please. Matthew 14, 32 to 34. Then they came to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here a while, while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Stay here and watch, Jesus. Jesus' disciples were deeply distressed also but they didn't completely comprehend what was about to happen. And when you are distressed, sometimes you just want to go to sleep and put matters out of your mind. I'm sure we've all experienced that. Jesus was troubled because he fully understood what was about to happen and that he was about to sacrifice his life for the world. In Chris Blake's book, Looking for a God to Love, maybe some of you have read that book. It's a a fantastic book to read. He describes Jesus' agony as follows. In the garden he prays, not for his disciples, but for his own soul. Grimacing, he crashes to the ground. His entire being convulses. He is tasting the suffering of every person's death. Just puts down the Lord. The awful moment has come, that moment which describes the destiny of the world. Will the innocent Son of God take upon himself the curse of sin? Will he drink the cup of humiliation and agony and separation from the Father? He moves to his hands and knees in agony. He knows that if left to himself, humankind will perish. But the awesome power of sin stuns him. Oh, my father, he says for a third time, if, it, if possible, let this cup pass from me. He pauses and eternity hangs in the balance. All of heaven is watching Angels behold the scene in silent wonder. His eyes are shut, his breathing sharp against his teeth, but he exhales. 
if this cup will not pass from me except I drink it. He struggles to finish the thought. Your will be done, Father. Your will be done. The choice is made. He will serve humanity at any cost to himself, and through him perishing millions may gain the loving freedom of eternal life. He falls dying. A blinding light suddenly appears, and a comforting angel sent by the Father supports Jesus' head. The angel assures him of the Father's love and confirms that Jesus' sacrifice will indeed overthrow the power of every kind of suffering and that his kingdom will know no end and that his followers will thank him forever. He will see the human race saved. Though still in agony, Jesus' discouragement is lifted. Peace settles on him. He has endured the endurable. We, we cannot comprehend that kind of suffering, can we? Luke twenty-two forty-four describes another type of suffering. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then the sweat began like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. This is a medical condition which, under extreme stress, a person's sweat becomes mixed with blood. This condition is called hematridosis and may occur when a person is suffering extreme levels of stress. For example, facing his own death. The drops of blood that Jesus sweat in the Garden of Gethsemane surely fulfilled the anguish of his soul that was spoken by Isaiah 700 years prior. That is, Jesus' passion was not merely physical but also spiritual. His anguish clearly demonstrated that he was God. He knew in detail everything that was about to happen to him. He knew he was facing physically one of the most horrible forms of capital punishment in history. Since his body was human, he would feel everything, at least as intensely as we would. Then another form of suffering was imposed upon him. Judas betrays him with a kiss for 30 pieces of silver. Peter denied Jesus three times, and then the rooster crows. This was, of course, as Jesus predicted. Jesus experiences yet another type of betrayal as found in Matthew 26, 55. In that hour, Jesus said to the multitude, Have you come out against me, a robber with swords and clubs, to take me? I sat daily teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me. Could it be that those who came out to take Jesus prisoner were some of those who received teachings from him? Or could it be that those who arrested him be part of the multitude that Jesus fed when he had only five fishes and two loaves? And through a miracle that only he could perform, fed over 5,000 people. How sad and heartbreaking this must have been for him. 
Jesus was then turned over to Pilate for sentencing. Pilate couldn't find, could find no fault in him as Jesus gave Pilate to understand that he was not seeking an earthly throne. When Pilate heard that Jesus was from Galilee, he decided to send him to Herod, who was a ruler at that time of the province. Herod denounced Jesus as an imposter and dared not ratify the condemnation of Christ and sent him back to Pilate to, to, Roman, to the Roman judgment hall. Here Pilate showed his weakness. He had declared that Jesus was innocent, yet he was willing for him to be scourged and crucified to pacify his accusers. In Christ's day, crucifixion was one of the worst punishments of that time and it was reserved for slaves and for foreigners. And it was, it was not subjected to the Roman people for, for punishment. It was both physically painful and emotionally shameful. They hung in shame because they were usually stripped of their clothes. Death came slowly after many days because none of their vital organs were affected during crucifixion. Jesus' death was unusual in that it only took a few hours for him to expire. The most reasonable answer is that he died of a broken heart being separated from his father. The Son of God was delivered to the people to be crucified with shouts of triumph. They led the dear Savior away. He was weak and faint from weakness pain, and loss of blood by the scourging and blows which he had received. Scourging was also an inhuman form of torture. The lashes that Jesus received from a whip came with a short handle for which were fastened several cords tipped with pieces of bone or lead. With each lash, these sharp pieces tore into the flesh and buried themselves in Jesus' bare back. This was done up to 39 times. In this state of weakness, the heavy cross upon which he had soon to be nailed was laid upon him. Jesus faded beneath the burden. Three times the cross was placed on his shoulders and three times he fell down. One of the followers, a man who had not openly professed in faith in Christ, yet believed in him, was asked to carry the cross. Upon him the cross was laid, and he bore it to that fatal spot. Companies of angels were marshaled in the air above the place. A number of Christ's disciples followed him to Calvary in sorrow and bitter weeping. They called to mind his triumphant ride in, into Jerusalem, but a few days before, when they had followed him crying, Hosanna in the highest, found in Matthew 21, 9, and strewing their garments and the beautiful palm branches in the way, they had thought that he was to take the kingdom and reign a temporal prince over Israel. How changed the scene. How blighted the prospects. Not with rejoicing, 
not with cheerful hope, but with hearts stricken with fear and despair, they now solely, sadly followed him who had been disgraced and was about to die for our sins. The mother of Jesus was there. Her heart was pierced with anguish, such as none but a fond mother can feel. Yet the disciples, she still hoped that Christ would work some mighty miracle and deliver himself from the murderers. She could not endure the thought that he would suffer himself to be crucified. But the preparations were made and Jesus was laid upon the cross. The hammer and nails were brought. The hearts of the disciples fainted within them. The mother of Jesus was bowed with agony, almost beyond endurance. Before the Savior was nailed to the cross, the disciples removed her from the scene that she might not bear the crashing of the spikes as they were driven through the bone and muscle of her tender hand of, of his tender hands and feet. Jesus murmured not, but groaned in great agony. His face was pale and large drops of sweat stood upon his brow. Satan exalted in the suffering through which the Son of God was passing, yet feared that his efforts to thwart the plan of salvation had been in vain, that his kingdom was lost, and that he might finally be destroyed. After Jesus had been nailed to the cross, it was raised with a great force, thrust into, the, into place which had been prepared for it in the ground, tearing the flesh and causing the most intense suffering. To make the death of Jesus as shameful as possible, two thieves were crucified with him, one on each side. The thieves were taken by force. After much resistance on their part, their arms were thrust back and nailed to the crosses. But Jesus meekly submitted. He, did, he needed no one to force his arms back upon the cross. While the thieves were cursing their executioners, the Savior in agony prayed for his enemies, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And this is found in Luke 23, verse 24. It was not merely agony of the body which Christ endured. The sins of the whole world were upon him. As Jesus hung upon the cross, some who passed by mocked him, wagging their heads as if bowing to a king and said to him, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Satan used the same words to Christ in the wilderness, in the wilderness didn't he? If you are the son of God. The priests Elders and scribes mockingly said, he saved others, himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. The angels who hovered over the scene of Christ's crucifixion were moved to indignation as the rulers derided him and said, if he be the son of God, 
let him deliver himself. They that they wished that someone would rescue Jesus and deliver him, but they were not to do so because the object of his mission had not yet been accomplished. As Jesus hung upon the cross during those long hours of agony, he didn't forget his mother. She had returned to the terrible scene for she could no longer remain away from her son. The last lesson of Jesus was one of compassion and humanity. He looked upon the grieving, stricken face of his mother. And then upon his beloved disciple John, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to John, Behold your mother. After, and after that hour, John took her to his own house. Jesus, meanwhile, thirsted in his agony, and they gave him vinegar and gall to drink. And when he tasted it, he refused it. The angels had viewed the agony of their loved commander until they could no longer, and they veiled their faces from the sight. The son refused to look upon that awful scene. Jesus cried out with a loud voice, which struck terror to the hearts of his murderers. It is finished. It is finished. Then the veil of the temple was rent from the top to the bottom. The earth shook. The rocks rent. Great darkness was upon the face of the earth. The last hope of the disciples seemed swept away as Jesus died. Many of his followers witnessed the scene of his suffering and death, and their cup of sorrow was full. A doctor describes the death of Jesus through crucifixion. And it, and it goes like this. Simon is ordered to place the crossbeam on the ground, and Jesus is quickly thrown backwards with his shoulders against the wood. The legionnaire feels for the depression at the front of the wrist. He drives the heavy square wrought iron nail through the wrist and deep into the wood. Quickly he moves to the other side and repeats the action, being careful not to pull the arms too tightly, but to allow some flex, flexation and movement. The crossbeam is then lifted into place. At the top of the vertical beam, the left foot is pressed backward against the right foot. And with both feet extended, toes down, a nail is driven through the arch of each, leaving the knees moderately flexed. The victim is now crucified. As he slowly sags down with more weight on the nails and the wrists, excruciating, fierce pain shoots along the fingers and up the arms to explode in his brain. The nails in the wrists are putting pressure on the median nerves. As he pushes himself upward to avoid this stretching torment, he places full weight on the nail through, the, through his feet. Again, there is searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the metatarsal bones of the feet. At this point, another phenomenon occurs. As the arms fatigue, great waves of cramps sweep over the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. 
With these cramps comes the inability to push himself upward. Air cannot be drawn into the lungs, but cannot be, in, be exhaled. Christ, in, Christ fights to raise himself in order to get even a small breath. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and in the bloodstream, and the cramping partially subsides. Spasmodically, he is unable to push himself upward to exhale and bring in life-giving oxygen. Hours of this unlimited pain, cycles of twisting, joint rendering cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain as tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and, up and down against the rough lumber of the cross. Then another agony begins, a deep crushing pain deep in the chest as the pericardium fills slowly with serum and begins to compress the heart. It is now almost over. The loss of tissue fluids has reached a critical level. The compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the <coughs> tissues. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to grasp in small gulps of air. The body of Jesus is now an extremist, and he, and he can feel the chill of death, death creeping through his tissues and his mission of atonement has been completing, completed. Finally, he can allow his body to die. Satan did not exult as he had done. He had hoped to break up the plan of salvation, but it was laid too deep. And now by the death of Christ, he knew that he himself must finally die and his kingdom be given to Jesus. He holds a council with his angels. He prevailed nothing against the Son of God, and now they must increase their efforts and with their power and cunning turn to his followers. They must prevent all whom they could from receiving the salvation purchased for them by Jesus. By doing so, Satan could still work against the government of God. Also, it would be for his own interest to keep from Jesus as many as possible. For the sins of those who are redeemed by the blood of Christ will at last be rolled back upon the originator of sin, and he must bear their punishment, while those who do not accept salvation through Jesus will suffer the penalty of their own sins. The life of Christ had been without worldly wealth without honor or display. His humility and self-denial had been in striking contrast to the pride and self-indulgence of the priests and the elders. His spotless purity was a continual reproof of their sins. They despised him for his humility, his holiness, and his purity. But those who despise him here one day will see him in the grandeur of heaven and the unsurpassed glory of his Father. Back in the judgment hall, he was surrounded by enemies who were thirsting for his blood, but those hardened ones who cried out, his blood be on us and on our children. 
will behold him an honored king. All the heavenly host will escort him on his way with songs of victory, majesty, and might to him that was slain, yet lives again a mighty conqueror. Poor, weak, miserable men spat in the face of the king of glory, while I showed a brutal tramp arose from the mod, mob at the degrading insult. They marred with blows and cruelty that face which filled all heaven with admiration. They will again behold that face, bright as the moonday sun, and will seek to flee from before it. Instead of that shout of brutal triumph, they will wail because of him. Jesus will present his hands with the marks of his crucifixion. The marks of his cruelty he will ever bear. Every print of the nails will tell the short story of man's wonderful redemption and the dear price by which it was purchased. The very man who thrust the spear into the side of our Lord, the side of the Lord of life, will behold the print of that spear and will lament with deep anguish the part which he played, acting in marring Christ's body. His murderers were greatly annoyed by the subscription the king of the Jews placed upon the cross above his head, but then they will be obliged to see him in all his glory and kingly power. He will behold on his vesture and on his side written in living characters, King of King and Lord of Lords. They cried to him mockingly as he hung on the cross, let Christ the King of Israel descend from the cross that we may see and believe. They will behold him then with kingly power and authority. They will demand no evidence of his being king of Israel, but overwhelmed with a sense of his majesty and exceeding glory. They will be compelled to acknowledge, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Never can the cost of our redemption be realized until the redeemed shall stand with the Redeemer before the throne of God. Then as the glories of the eternal home burst upon the enraptured sense, we shall remember that Jesus left all this for us, that he not only became an exile from the heavenly courts, but for us he took the risk of failure and eternal loss. In closing, please go with me to John 14, 1-3. And we all are very familiar with this text, where it says, let your hearts not be troubled. You believe in God, also believe in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And where I go, you know the way you know. These are very comforting words, aren't they? This wicked, sin-laden world is winding down. But as Christians, we look forward to Christ's return to take those faithful to him home. You know, there is a, a CD that I listen very often 
by Pam Lister, and we all, all know Pam. And the words go something like this. No, no, I'm not going to sing them because if I did, everybody would be removed from the, the sanctuary. But it said, Jesus not only carried the cross, he carried me. Jesus not only suffered the loss, he counted me. Church, or church Jesus paid the ultimate price for each one of us. Let us be ready when the King of King and the Lord of Love, Lord returns to take all of us where he is. Thank you.